Hello, and welcome to Dodecahedron, a podcast by, for, and about role players. I'm Jess Vetters. And I'm Colin Lamo. Every week we get together to talk about a range of gaming-related topics, from creating a character to running a game, and what it all means for people who share a favorite hobby. We may not be experts, but we do have pleasant voices and a wealth of <laughs> gaming experience that we're eager to share with you. Our topic today is part one of two in a series on person-to-person dynamics that we want to get into, and we're starting with guiding your players. So the dynamics of a GM to a player. But before we really get into all of that, Colin. Yes. I can't think of a nice, easy transitional topic to get into. Well, let's talk about the fact that your first professional game went fairly well, enough so that they booked you on another one. And why don't you lead in by letting kind of our viewers know um, a little bit, just like a a very vague idea about how it went. For a little bit of background, um, Jess was asked to run a game for uh, a friend of his and uh, who wanted to bring a bunch of his co-workers together to try out uh, a role-playing game and offered to pay Jess for his time, which is kind of the dream for some DMs. And with that, I'll hand it back to you. Well, all right. I, I was not... Um... I was not thinking about getting into this in such a self-aggrandizing matter. Aggrandize but, um... away. It, it actually did go extremely well, like better than I had expected it to. Not that I expected it to go poorly, but when you walk into a situation where you don't know your players, as we have talked about on this podcast, you never really know what you're going to get in terms no, of like their level of involvement or their level of role-playing skill or understanding of the rules. Huh. Uh like the one thing that I wish I had done differently and that I will be doing differently when I run another game for I think mostly the same people this week is uh, bringing along what I'm basically going to refer to as cheat sheets for the rules. Yes. Because we're playing Dungeons and Dragons 5, which is not an overly complicated system if you are familiar with D20 systems in general. Yes, of course. But if you have never actually played a role-playing game and you're used to normal board games... So much math. It's a lot to handle. It's a lot of, like, on-the-fly... All right, so I have to add this number to that number, and that does what now? Which dice is the d12? Although, to be fair, there are some very mathematically inclined board games out there. There are, and I was also lucky that most of the people that I was running the game for are computer programmers, so the math itself was not an issue. Ah. It was mostly in relation to, like, why does this rule do this thing? Uh, One of the examples of that being initiative. One of the questions that I had was, why does initiative work the way it does? And explaining it away as like, well, it's essentially an abstraction of all of these things happening at once is not always satisfactory to people. I mean, but it is accurate. It is. It's just a matter of like, well, if I want to go later in the round, can I do that? And the answer to that is generally, depending on your DM, yes, you can hold your initiative and take your action later. Uh, Little just like almost nitpicky rules things like that came up fantasy fairly flight, regularly 
Uh, Fantasy Flight, now with uh, the Genesis system, but also kind of began with their Star Wars Into the Empire system, has a pretty interesting uh, kind of twist on some of the initiative rules. Uh, you all roll to be an initiative, but then among the group, you decide who fits into what initiative slot. If you uh, if your uh, heavy hitter rolled toward the last and uh, the last of the initiative, you want him to go first, and you rolled toward the top, you just hand him your initiative slot and take his. Uh, as uh, as kind of a table conversation going, and it's an interesting i it's an interesting idea for the for the game itself. That is super interesting. I really like that. Yeah, you might be able to just apply that as sort of a house rule into your to your D and D thing. So, um, the people who have um, the right stats to roll high on the initiative don't just roll high on an initiative for themselves, but the benefit is they technically hold high, uh, roll high on the initiative for their party and can hand that initiative slot out to somebody else. See, that's actually brilliant because that was one of the problems that I had when I was running this game. Uh, what I essentially did was I pre, like I pre-built a dungeon for them to run through, and it was like this little mine that was taken over by bandits. You know, very tried and true. Really tropey, but familiar sort of story, so it wouldn't be too difficult for anybody to get a hold of. Uh, but what the I mines unfortunately, of Moria. it was a little bit Mines of Moria mixed with go. like every single Skyrim side quest. Um, but the problem that I ran into since I drew out my own map, I accidentally made all of the hallways five feet wide. Mm hmm. Uh, so, like, as I've gone this time around, I'm avoiding that by making every hallway in the, like, big castle keep that they're going to be going into this week 20 feet wide. Uh, that's a spoiler for the one person who I know who will be playing the game who might listen to this before we play. <gasps> Ooh. Uh, so there's Hello. your little hint. Hello, but person. this meant, like, in the last game, that our rogue who consistently got very high initiatives, but was also consistently in the back of the group, couldn't actually do anything for about three-quarters of the fights. Rough. Yeah, so that's something that I'm working on fixing as I go along, and it was a rookie mistake, because I don't normally play with, like, physical representations of the space or the players. But I had this idea last time that I would draw out the dungeon on grid paper and tape that to some cardboard and then use pushpins to represent where the people are so that there's a bit of a toy factor and new players have a visual idea of where things are and what's actually happening without me needing to go out and drop, you know... 50 to a hundred dollars on a whole bunch of different minis to represent the different characters that I'm bringing in wood carving carve them yourself I wish that I could <laughs> just whittle slightly different size blocks of wood and then do little tiny faces on them with marker that actually sounds like something that I can pull off and I'm going to steal that idea and uh, post beautiful pictures on my Instagram of all of my amorphous blobs that I call character miniatures. Oh, perfect. I can't wait to see them. Start an Etsy shop. Of course. An Etsy shop for my weirdly whittled crap.
Ah, yes, especially. Uh, they're, they're not weirdly whittled. Uh, they're not weirdly whittled. They are home-crafted gelatinous ooze adventurers for your oh, table. Oh, I like that. Add yes. a little bit of the, like, play as a monster <laughs> element. Exactly. That's what everyone wants to do these days. People are getting really into that. Yeah, they really are. I'm also super into the idea of it, but I haven't actually really had a chance to try it out myself. We're going to have to do an episode about uh, unconventional character types and subverting the monster trope. What I'm going to do right now is put that on our list of topics. Ha ha. Awesome. Well, booyah. Perfect. Now that we've got that all handled, let's move into the actual point of this episode which is our person-to-person -person dynamics. Now, of course, for part one, we're focusing on the GM dynamics, not with the group, but with the individual players. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about DM to group dynamics and sort of the how-tos and the do's and don'ts a little bit in our roundabout way um, of running a game. Uh, so this is more of... Um, a personal and, and narrative approach to tailoring content in your game and interactions with your players to the specific person. Um, Absolutely. Which is, which is important, knowing the specific person and their likes and their dislikes. And I'll go ahead and start here if you don't Please mind. Please do. Um, so for me, uh, I, I generally game with uh, some very similar people that I've been gaming with for a long time, but I have opened up my group via the, the LARP that I'm running at Gen Con. Um, and uh, the, the important thing for me as a storyteller is to sit down with any prospective new player. Well, first of all, I have, I have a rule. In my gaming group, if people want to join my game, and the rule is very simple, um, if someone wants to play in one of my games, first they must show up to one of the current games that I am running and sit in on a session. They don't have to stay there the entire time. They can stay as long as they're comfortable. But I want them to get an idea for how I run a game, how I run a scene, how I characterize NPCs, how the other players interact with each other, because these are all important aspects to know uh, before you join a group. And it would be one thing to simply tell someone that is another to be there and experience it. Now, some people can sit and listen to games all the way through. Some people listen to Let's Plays of games or or just like flick on like a YouTube and listen to like an entire dungeon call. Me personally, uh, unless there's other production element involved, uh, I can't do it. I get real, real bored. Um, and some people, a lot of people can be just like that. So that's why I say you don't have to stay the entire time if you don't want to. If you need to like be like, all right, this has been about an hour. I am bored out of my mind. I'm leaving. I'm like, cool, you're done. Uh, but if you were playing, would you have been more interested? Usually the answer is yes. So far, the answer has been yes. But the first step for me is to give them a baseline comparison for what to expect. Afterwards, I find at least an hour to two hours of time to sit down and say, all right, so what kind of, have, do you have any role-playing experience? Depending on yes or no, if it's, if it's yes, it's what kind of player have you, what kind of character have you most enjoyed playing before? Tell me about your favorite character and tell me about one of their most defining 
moments. You'll kind of get an idea for um, the kind of characters that the person plays or, or the kind of things that they like if they give you their defining moment. And most people that have played role-playing games have uh, at least like a repertoire of memories um, associated to different characters about things that they did epic or really cool or something that just just like happened awesome in the game and they will tell you about it and, and generally they will tell you about it while making sound effects like it's actually way better if they do do that i like of people, course i like people bringing their own sound effects to the table um <laughs> I mean, we can't be expected as GMs to do literally all of the Foley work. Right. No, I mean, absolutely not. Uh, I got I to gotta work on my soundboard game. Um, but once you've got – once you've got – and especially if they don't have a specific – uh, amount of experience. Like, okay, if you haven't played role-playing games before, tell me about your top three favorite characters from any media and why. Why do you like them? Why do you like their story? Uh, what story would you are you most compelled to follow in the development thereof? And usually you'll be able to figure out uh, at least sort of a baseline from that over what kind of character they'd be interested in playing. Then you can suggest things to them. Well, I think that you could possibly come in as a... Um, as a bodyguard uh, to this NPC, you see the, the PCs are coming up there. They're about to have a negotiation and there is going to be a, a sort of a quest uh, that's involved. And in order to make sure that their interests are met, this this NPC is likely to send their bodyguard along um, on this particular mission because it's the person that is closest to them and will absolutely make sure that their bottom line is met. And that should give you a chance to get to know the party really, really well. And then um, once you guys once you guys establish sort of the type of character that you want, you can get down into the well. This is the kind of interaction that you'd be receiving. This is the sort of arc that we've been on as a DM. I like to focus on redemptive arcs. Um, if you are an evil character, um, I I can allow that. You can be an evil character if it's a mostly a a good aligned party. However, then you're going to sort of. Uh, <laughs> You're going to have to expect to either redeem yourself and change or you'll eventually be outed by by the party uh, is 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 sort of how it goes, of course. Mm -hmm. And um, those are kind of the the basics of what I get into with a new player kind of perspectively. I'll get into how I manage that um during a game session after we after we shoot over to you and and your beginning parts. But. For me, the most important thing is to find out what holds the interest of my player. What kind of story, and more importantly, what kind of a character, uh, and and even and even more stratified, what what kind of a journey um, most speaks to them as as a player, as a person, uh, because those are likely the stories they'd be most interested in acting out and and getting into. And you want to start from a place of of interest. Um, I, I've had people in my group, uh, that after, after a little while, like, I'm going to challenge myself with this, with this character that is as really unconventional and is not like at all how I usually play, which ordinarily can be okay, but you have to remember that you need a baseline of interest. Don't challenge yourself to play something that you never had any interest in playing before, because this isn't like a job. Uh, this is, this is our passion. This is just a thing that is really fun. You don't have to force yourself to do a thing that is not fun in order to broaden your horizons on the things that, that is fun. It, 
most likely it will take away enjoyment from you and thus from the rest of the group. Find a way to blend a trope that you don't ordinarily play with elements of things that you already enjoy so you can still have fun during the course of the game and you won't run out of fuel. I can actually speak to the importance of that in like from a personal experience standpoint because I have, as I've mentioned before, played characters just to do something different or to fill a niche that I ended up just genuinely having no fun with and I've had to completely change my tack in the game. So like making sure that you are communicating with your DM as the player or that you're communicating with your players as the storyteller or whatever you want to call yourself is super important to making sure that people are enjoying the game. Right. Exactly. Now, when it comes to the differences between you and I in terms of guiding a new player, and I say new as the operative word there uh, because of mostly what you just said, but also what I'm about to go into, you and I have a, a massive breadth of difference in experience with this because a lot of the players that I have run games for have been either fairly new to role-playing or completely new to myself. I haven't done a lot of role, uh, running games for the same recurring groups. Uh, mm. And typically, I don't have a lot of time to get to know the player before we jump into the game. Now, sometimes this is a person who I have an established friendship with, who hasn't had a lot of experience or maybe they play in other games that I've run before, or maybe they play with me in a game where I'm a player. That's the optimal scenario. And in that case, I do try and have as much pre-information going into the new game as possible. But I've also run into situations where... I met this person three days ago, or I saw them on set once at my day job, and they expressed interest in playing Dungeons & Dragons or World of Darkness or whatever we happen to be running. So let's just jump into it. Well, and presumably, what I have... sorry, I don't mean to interrupt you, presumably you have uh, their contact information, right? Sometimes, yes. How do they find no. you otherwise? Well, Let's it depends play a game. on it depends on if I have brought them in or if a friend of a friend has brought them along and they want to play. Because I have a very difficult time turning people away. I I don't personally require like an introductory session if you want to play and I'm not overflowing with players, then sure, I'll I'll bring you in. I always like to be able to do a session zero to figure out who your character is. I like to know what you want out of this game. I want to know what you want out of the story. But if I don't get that, my first step is I will pre-build a character unless you explicitly tell me otherwise that you don't want me to. Because then at least I know you are going to be mechanically sound, not... A crazy, like, overpowered glass cannon combat monster, what have you, because that's not really the type of game that I like to run. And I will mm -hmm. also know that if you have questions, 
and I have done my job, half of the time you can refer to your sheet. Because I do like to build in extra information there. I think it's very important to give somebody a point of reference for who they are playing. How much but, information do you put in? What form does it take? Well, that's a very good question, because what I like to do is give them the mechanical information. I like to give them the numbers. And then, once we're actually sitting down at the table, I ask you questions like, All right, you're an elven rogue with a background as a charlatan. What's your name? Where do you come from? Why are you on the run? Um, and part of what I learned in running games like Dread, which is a very narrative-focused game that doesn't have numbers on the character sheets, it literally is just a 13-question questionnaire. Right. And each one of these questions is a very leading, situational prompt. So, uh, in one of the games that I ran through Dread, uh, I built in a character who was a madam at a brothel who was taking a vacation for an unspecified reason. And one of the questions that I had was, your sister hasn't talked to you in ten years. Why? And the way that the player answered that, because this is of course a game where you answer the questions and then I look at everything to make sure that I understand who you're playing now. Mm-hmm. That informed so much about what I could do to this character. As the name implies, Dread is a horror game. It's all about messing with your players' minds, which makes it very interesting from a storytelling perspective and very harrowing from a player's perspective. Harrowing. Very good. Well, how many questions does, uh, does Dread usually have to just kind of throw out of players? Uh, it is... Well, in their suggested sheets, like for the ones that are the scenarios in the books, it's 13. Mm. And if you are creating your own scenario, you are encouraged to follow the same format that they use. But theoretically, you could do like three questions or you could do 30. Oh, right, right, right. But if there, if there are 13 questions, are they all the same? Like, do do does every player have a sister that hasn't talked to them for 10 years? No, 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 not at all. <laughs> uh, what that essentially comes down to is they give you ideas of what the questions should be about. So they'll have one that's like a question related to your job, a question related to the purpose for you being here. A question related to something that you want, a question related to your family, things like that. It's very open-ended, so as a person running Dread, if you're going to create your own game, you have literally all of the freedom, and then just this nice little guideline of, try things like this. Fair enough. And the great thing is, if you pull it off even halfway decently, your players will think that you are a genius when you say, oh no, I just made all of that up. <laughs> but yeah, we kind of talked about how we get players into games, and I think I may have truncated myself there a little bit, but I genuinely can't remember what the next thing I was going to say was, and I think I said my piece about starting off. Once you're actually in the game, how do you handle 
the dynamic between yourself and your players, Colin Lamothe? <laughs> well, there's no straightforward answer to that. It kind of depends, um, and I think it does in a lot of situations, on the player and the DM. You have a number of different personalities that come to the table. Um, likes and dislikes, expectations, ambitions, um, reiterative narratives, actually, that, that show up between character to character. And to some degree, your relationship has to shift and change without becoming necessarily favorite, uh, without necessarily becoming, you know, overt favoritism towards somebody else. So it's, it's, it's a hard balance to maintain. Mm. Uh, for instance, there are some characters, uh, or some players that like to grab the spotlight and be, and be team leader. So. Yes, hello. Yes. No, I was just oh. saying like, yeah, that, that's, that's me. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. Well. That's, it's been a while, and yes, it is you. Um, <laughs> like I just did with this podcast. The more things change, the more they say, the more they stay the same. So, for those players, you need to um, give them those opportunities while still kind of allowing the economy of action and uh, development for the other players to to remain so your relationship with them has to be something uh that's more that's more forward you give them more leads um you give them maybe a little bit more of a robust storyline with many different angles and elements that they can explore because they love to run and get to know npcs and kind of chase leads and then there are other players that more like to be let's say quieter um generally like to take the supporting role most often uh don't necessarily like to be in the spotlight to be forced into decision making and maybe you make their stories have a lot less um avenues and um what I would call catalyst points that would show up in the main storyline, but you focus on more of a, um, of an arcing narrative that gives them the chance to still feel like they're completing character development while not pushing it into the forefront of what the group needs to do. Perhaps their story, uh, walks hand in hand with the main storyline with only some slight variation. So in pursuing the exact main storyline without any, uh, without without any distraction they're they're still pushing forward their plot without making it what the group is all about mm -hmm. now for you in particular i have a very specific question about a specific type of player that okay. you might find yourself dming for sure and i ask you this because i know it's a situation in which you have found yourself multiple times <laughs> All right. How do you handle DMing for your significant other? Oh, that's a very good question. DMing for a significant other. Um, that is a... That is sometimes kind of a difficult prospect. It also depends entirely upon your significant other. Um... <clears throat> There is an expectation. Sorry, my my girlfriend is actually in the room right now listening to me record this. Excellent. 
<laughs> she was supposed to step out and go to a phone call. And I, as soon as I repeated back the question, she's just like leaned like like partway off the bed to listen to what's going on. So I'm, I'm just going to continue. Immortalized in the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Just you're in the podcast now. Um, <laughs> I I'll, I'll say I'll say this. There is sometimes an expectation that because of the nature of your relationship, the intimacy of your relationship with somebody um, that you are extremely close to like that, um, you can't be fair with them. You you might uh, bring favoritism to the table. You might, there are, I have heard so many stories about DMs that have given preferential treatment to their significant others um, at the table that has been such a, a huge point of dissonance with other players. And I've been accused of it before, but to be frank, I actually sort of give my significant other sort of almost a, a harder time than my other players. <laughs> if maybe uh, to throw a, a wrench into like the expectation that I wouldn't, it's almost harder for them because I am aware of my emotional investment to them. And so it has to be a little harder for them to, um, to, to kind of, to kind of make it through some of the, some of the challenges. And, um, while I think it is a, a fantastic experience to be able to have somebody that is that close to you in one of your stories, in one of your narratives, especially someone who's very interested and can talk to you about it outside of the game, especially someone who's going to be with you uh, all of that time. You, you have to be, you have to be aware of, of where you stand with them, how their actions impact the storyline, how, their interactions with the group go. Um, it is very easy to slip into favoritism without even realizing that you're there, without oh, yeah. even knowing that you've pulled your punches for them um, or deliberately made NPCs that fall into like their predilections or their particular life specifically for them. It's, it's hard sometimes because it will sometimes just happen and the only way to sort of balance it is to be aware of your own storyline and be aware to question yourself and to sometimes, when necessary, talk to your other players about it. Like, hey, uh, we've been playing, you know, with my girlfriend for a while. Do you do you feel like I'm giving them an easier time or anything like that? And if so, can you point to specific examples? You have to be honest and open with the people that you game with in order to foster their trust. Uh, and that means coming to them for opinions sometimes, even when you're sort of afraid of what the answer might be. Well, and I think that strikes upon the dynamic that is most important in a game. Like, mm -hmm. I I ran a World of Darkness live-streamed game for nearly a year, and the three main players in it, because we had I remember one that. person leave and one person come in. But my main three players were my best friend, my roommate, and my brother. Yeah. So, like, balancing the various dynamics that came into play with that was a constant tightrope walk of Close. trying to figure out, like, who do I let take the spotlight? <laughs> who wants it? Who finds out what and whose story is pushed forward? 
Man, close relationships are a son of a gun in those in those uh, in those situations. They very much can be, and it's honestly a big part of the reason why, like, with my gaming group that I mostly play with now, they are they're all my friends, but they are first my gaming group. Who? Like, I'll go out with these these folks for drinks. I'll. One of them is a musician. I'll go to his shows when he plays. Like, I'm not cutting off the relationship in any way, but what is there is like, and thankfully, I'm just a player with these people most of the time. So I don't have to worry too much about, like, yeah, let's just shoot the shit about the world and just, let me, like, dance you just, around. You just yeah. sit down. You're like, we may be friends outside of this table, but for now, I am the only god in this world, and exactly. I am a merciless one. That can be a terrifying dynamic, and I know people who <laughs> balk at that so hard. Like, <laughs> the idea of having a relationship with your players outside of the game, especially any sort of intimate relationship, EGAD. it's intimidating, because these are not just people friends these are not just people that you're playing a game with if you are playing especially the way that we do which is incredibly narrative heavy yes yes these are people in little, the story you are telling little masochistic little sadistic <laughs> you can't just sit down at the table and say like it's it's not the same as sitting down and playing monopoly or settlers of catan it is 100% possible that you will end up in an adversarial position week after week. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're the antagonist there. It's not just that you're using your roads to uh, completely cut off their ability to grow their civilization in Catan. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's you are their opposition and their allies and everything else. So, so Jess, I will, I will ask you this. Yes, As someone do. who does have a relationship with their players outside of the game, have you ever had a strain in your relationship due to something that happened in a game? I have. <laughs> uh, and it, it's happened a couple of times. Yeah. And I, you know, I blame 90% of these happenings on myself. <laughs> and the fact that when they happened, I desperately needed, like, psychiatric help. Oof. So, like, if you are 100% mentally sound all of the time, you can go ahead and skip forward, like, three minutes. You're not going to need to hear this part. But if like you are a normal minutes. human being who has occasional brain problems... <sighs> Malfunctions. Always bear in mind that regardless of what the person on the other side of the table has done in the game, they are a person on the other side of a table. Yep. And it does not matter if your DM just mercilessly slaughtered your favorite NPC. It does not matter if your player just unraveled with two idiotic words the four-week-long campaign that you spent hours pouring your heart and soul into, it does not matter that the person you are staring in the face 
essentially just shattered your entire constructed world. Because you're playing a game, and as important as that game is to you, and even the other person, the relationship that you have outside of that should be more important. Mm -hmm. Now that might fall apart if you don't know the person outside of the game. But they're still a human being with thoughts and feelings, so, like, don't be a dick. Yeah. Of course. Now, I mean... that said, <laughs> most of these situations that I have found myself in were resolved fairly easily and did not actually permanently damage any relationships that I have had. However, I have been adjacent to a situation where... A player's conduct in a game completely severed their relationship with the person running that game, and they don't speak anymore. Now, you mentioned uh, an important note that it's it's all that it's all a game that the um, relationship outside should not necessarily be affected that what happens inside a game. I will, however, in a small point of counter, not to necessarily say that that's incorrect, but in some long-running games on which you've spent, you know, hours and hours of time where there is investment all around the table, mm -hmm. it, it, it isn't necessarily, uh, what, do, what do I want to say? Uh, it wouldn't be out of character, in my opinion. If you were upset at somebody who uh who knew the kind of things that you were going after that your whole investment in the game and npc that you have constantly been like working on their storyline and moving forward if they killed them for an arbitrary reason got into a slight altercation with them in character and then just brutalized them in a way that you know could have been avoided or should have been if they were a little bit more considerate i wouldn't mind uh necessarily if those two people were, were a little bit at odds uh, or a little bit upset about that. The idea is to moderate your emotions when it comes to things within the game. And if there is something that is very important f to you within the storyline, before anything permanent happens, if it had gotten to a point where, all right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna roll to, I'm gonna roll to cut this dude's head off, and somebody's like, oh my god, how could you? Stop. Just say, all right, pause. As a DM, you have the right to step in and say, pause. Before we continue this, and, and we can continue this at any point in time, let's have a, a quick, frank discussion about our motivations around this. Uh, why, you know, how, how invested are you in this, in this NPC being around? Uh, and, and why do you want to kill this NPC? Or why do you want to destroy them? Let's just have a frank discussion and remember that we can step away from the table and discuss things before we continue. And it's important, in my opinion, to be able to separate when it's about to become too hot in character to put the game down and be, all right, we're done with the storyline for just a bit. Let's let's step outside and talk about what the issue is here. And if it's uh, an issue that, you know, can't be solved, someone's like, I, I absolutely will destroy this person. And the other person's like, I absolutely will be anti-party against this person if it continues this way. You're like, all right, well, if there's, if there's going to be, you know, if it, obviously if we can't have a, a compromise here, that you're going to go after this this character in game if they do this this particular this particular thing and they're still going to do it anyways then at the very least you all accept that this is what the natural line of the consequences is in and I won't or me personally as a DM like I won't I I won't 
hold any truck. Like, I won't allow you guys to take this out of character. You've accepted the consequences for your actions. We'll let, we'll let the cards fall where they may and play it out. But because you've accepted all of these consequences and we've discussed it, it there's nothing more to argue about. It is a story. There will be other opportunities to sort of, uh, either revive or to find uh, a better, uh, find a better NPC to build your storyline in such a way that this loss can be mitigated. And if you got to come at this other player, I, just be, just be prepared for whatever the consequences might be. Cause I doubt they're going to just lay down and take it. Yeah. I mean, I, d I don't disagree with anything you just said. Yeah. Fair. Fair. And I, like yeah. when it gets down to it, what you said about if somebody is dead set on doing something that is antagonistic toward another, let's say, actor in the situation. Hmm. Not as in one who acts, but as in, like, a person involved. Uh, I think there really is something to be said about taking antagonistic actions. Hmm. and that should not be like that possibility shouldn't be taken away from either your GM or your players right because after all role playing is about making choices I mean however I do know groups in in which uh, anti-party actions are um, are kind of banned from the group worthy things like you do something against the whole party and you don't get the, you don't get to come back to the table after that. Some people run the party game real, real hard. They've been oh, yeah. burned by anti-party things too much. Which I also completely understand. And like my weekly group has a soft ban on player to player like in character conflicts. We are expected to either continue on with each other as if everything is hunky-dory or work that shit out with words. But it doesn't always work out that way. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, it. My group does not necessarily have any ban against uh, anti-player. We, we come from the you know world of darkness. A world of darkness is kind of rife. With uh, with a, with a lot of anti-party sentiment sometimes, or at least personal character narratives, uh, well, it doesn't I mean, have like, to be, but it can. If be. you're running a straight vampire game, it is fully expected and almost written into the rules that you are running your own side operation is like in the midst of everything else. Right. So I mean, I don't have any specific rules against it. Um, however, if things start to get too bad. In the group, I will take people aside and talk to them. I will sit down with the entire group and be like, we're going to talk about this. And we're going to resolve it because uh, I can't let this become an atmosphere um, that, you know, follows the group from game to game. As long as at the end of the day, we can be like, all right, you got one over on me. Good job. And mm -hmm. and you can and you can keep playing. No harm, no foul. It's when people are like, "I'm real angry at this person for doing this thing," that I have to be like, "All right, well, was what they did in character uh, for the situation?" Um, essentially, the the complaint that's coming out is: is it 
is it fair the the complaint and if it is then i i talk to the person who did it uh be like okay i didn't catch it and uh you know i'd be happy to i'd be happy to talk about you know solutions i have a, a rule um that i've instituted in my game where every player has one retcon um mm. where if they do something like just boneheadedly dumb or or whatever that goes real bad um, they can come to the group and be like, hey, guys, I, I don't really like how that scene went. I feel real like a real bad about the results of it. I'd like uh, I'd like to retcon. And um, as long as the as long as the majority of the uh, of the tablers like, all right, we accept that rep with that retcon, then you can go back and we redo the scene. Um, it probably doesn't go the same way, uh, but it. You, you are allowed to go back and kind of redo things. Uh, so there isn't as much pressure on always getting it quote unquote correct. And, and I like to tell everybody that comes and sits down at the table, there isn't really a wrong answer. If you think you have catastrophically um, effed up the entire world, uh, there will be a way to unmess up the situation coming down the line. Like it, it's not that this game is completely over. I wouldn't just leave you guys with you make this one right answer or it's all over, you'll have a lot of opportunities to change the story around. There just may be consequences between here and there. You have to be okay with accepting consequences and stories. They 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 bring more drama uh, more drama to the story itself. They bring um they bring stakes to characters' actions. They give choices weight. Now, a lot of what we have just been talking about for the last um, 10 minutes or so is stuff that we're going to touch on in other ways next week. Right, of course. But I want to leave off with one last question for you. Yes. And it's a bit of a hypothetical. Oh, boy. So, before we've talked about things like what to do when a player wants to leave the game... Yes. We've talked about all sorts of meta-narrative stuff in that way. Sure. But when you are approaching a difficult moment and you know, mm. you and your players know that for whatever reason, whatever we're about to get into is either thematically tricky or might come with some trigger warnings for certain people, or anything along those lines, and a player comes to you expressing... Maybe it's discomfort. Maybe it's a desire to do something else. Hmm. Maybe it's just a desire to not be involved in that session. Sure. How do you, as the GM, or the storyteller, or the... Give me another word... Architect? Sure. <laughs> How do you guide that person to the proper and best for everyone solution? Well, there's a number of ways to handle it. Uh, the question is, is this an element that that player can't really live with in a story? In which case, just removing them from the situation itself won't stop that event from being a thing that has affected the storyline and may be mentioned again as time goes on. If it 
if it's bad enough that they would be triggered, feel uh, incredibly uncomfortable, um, it would, you know, it would question their integrity in the game. You as a DM have to ask yourself um, some important questions. Like one, is it, is it uh, a fair request for you and your story? Most of the time, this should be yes. It should be. Um, people have things that they are uncomfortable about that they don't like to, to dredge up. And, and generally speaking, if it's a group that you know, you should kind of know what those are and just find ways around those elements in game. If it's a completely new person uh, that you've that you've just met and didn't know that about them, and and now now this is coming together, then you need to kind of shift your storyline in order to accommodate it. Or depending on on where it is, if you don't feel like your story can accommodate uh, removing some element, I, I can't imagine what what trigger it would be that you don't think that you could you know think your way around it but in in the end at the end of the day it's 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 your table and you can have that conversation with somebody about being like whether they're going to continue in with your game or not you if if it is something that you don't think that you can ordinarily remove in the long term like if they have a problem with murder in general and you're playing a, a hack and slash kind of game and you're like i don't specifically know how i would remove murder as an element from this dungeon kick down the door slay the monsters kind of thing i can remove it from this upcoming scene but maybe we should talk about your involvement in this particular story I'd be happy to run a different story for you a little bit down the line that maybe doesn't have these elements um if it comes to that that can be a conversation if they don't want to be involved in that scene you can NPC them through the scene, or you can ask if it's just an element that they wouldn't like um, in the story at all, and then find a way around it. It's um, it's important that you are open and compassionate to to what people need. They they come to the table to play these games um, to kind of escape, for you know, in a large sense, from a lot of the trials and tribulations of ordinary life and um, to be confronted with things that make them uncomfortable and stressed in in the world that they're coming from is 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 not a break at all instead it just it just kind of serves to make things worse uh and you don't want to do that you don't want to create a fictional situation in which they have to grapple with the things that their real life is already trying to grapple with and as a storyteller, with so many elements at your disposal and the entire story at your disposal, you have the power to create a narrative that doesn't include that. Your villains can do anything, including have certain things that are just off the table for them. And it doesn't have to be that they take like a moral high ground against, it just has to be that it never shows up in the scenes with those, with, the, you know, with those villains. It just doesn't even have to be an element that is included with the storyline. You don't have to make it a big thing that it's not there. Just have it not be there. There's plenty else you can do. Absolutely. And I think for me, what this all can be summed up in, the person-to-person -person dynamic between a storyteller and your players is a power dynamic. Mm -hmm. which means your players are coming to you to trust you 
to tell them a story that they will enjoy. Right. And you have to trust them back both to let you know what kind of story that's going to be and to get involved with it in a way that is mutually beneficial. It's important to realize that the power dynamic goes both ways. They might not have a game without the DM, but you don't have a campaign without the player. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's a that's a that's a good it's a good thought to to go out on. What do you think, buddy? I think that's practically perfect in every way. <laughs> Thanks so much. So once again, uh, we're Jess Vetters and Colin Lamoth. This is Dodecahedron. If you have enjoyed what you've heard, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Switcher or wherever else you have found this podcast. Leave if you positive want to, reviews. That would be amazing. Or if you reviews want, on how we can do better. Hey, we would love that too. In, in fact, the best way to let us know how we can do better would be to send us an email at dodecapodcast at gmail.com or to like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash dodecapodcast and leave us a comment or send us a message. Exactly. If you have a question that you'd like us to answer on the air, you can do the same and send us that question at... Colin, what's that email address? Uh, you, you, you have it. Dodecapodcast <laughs> at gmail.com. <laughs> See, I'm trying to get them to hear it in two voices, so maybe it sticks better. Well, they just have, they just have yours right now because well, it's, every it's, time you finish saying it, I forget it. It's dodecapodcast at gmail.com. <laughs> See, I wanted you to Dodeca repeat it back Podcast. To at gmail.com. Oh, that's what makes my heart happy. <laughs> well, from everyone here at Dodecahedron, at the Dodeca Podcast, uh, thank you so much for listening, and uh, we hope to hear from you, and hope you tune in next week for our newest episode, our part two. Bye.